0: Hi, I'm Mark Scott Secretary of the New South Wales Department of Education, and welcome to Every Student, the podcast where I get to introduce you to some of our great leaders in education. Today, I'm in conversation with Eddie Wu. He's a passionate educator who shot to fame on the back of his incredibly engaging YouTube show with more than half a million subscribers, and he spoke with me about how he got into maths and how you and your kids can too. He joins me for a special episode of the Every Student podcast, recorded live on stage at the University of Sydney as part of the Sydney Ideas series. Thanks again to the organisers for their kind permission to reproduce the audio here for our listeners. Look, you know, we first met a couple of years ago when I started at the Department of Education and I remember I gave a speech where I talked about our, our project that was underway to clone Eddie Wood. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because we'd heard that great things were underway in Cherrybrook uh, and the teaching you were doing there and the new uh, WooTube site that you'd uh, you'd built. But these last two years have been absolutely amazing, haven't they? And all of a sudden, you've gone from being a a little, you know, a figure online running maths lessons to Australia's most famous teacher. How has that happened? And why has that happened, do you think?
1: Mark, I'm just like you asking that question myself. I think back to when I was first arriving at Sydney University, and that was where I actually made the decision, rather than teaching English and history, which I still very much love and were the subjects that I was good at at school, then took this turn. Um, it was a very Gwyneth Paltrow sliding doors moment for anyone who's okay, people who get that joke, fantastic, thank you. Um, it was a very dramatic shift from what I'd originally planned, and if you'd told me back then, uh, that would be more than 15 years ago, that this was going to happen, I would have laughed at you. In fact, I'm still still somewhat laughing, but for me, I guess it's really touched on, You know, you talked about Uh, YouTube for me has sort of taken on a life of its own um, in that, you know, I I never told anyone go and watch these videos, you know, I never required my students, you know, it's like, hey, make sure you clock on and have all of the the videos in order. People are doing this in and of themselves and in fact all around the world. So I guess for me, the lesson I've taken from that is people really want to understand, they want to learn. And in fact, there's other barriers and people have this stereotype of maths being a, a hard subject that people don't want to engage with. But I think they deep down really do.
0: You know, one, one of the, uh, the things that people often say, and you even alluded to yourself, is that I'm not good at maths or I'm not a maths person. Do you believe that really people aren't good at maths and that they're not maths people or they just haven't uh, understood it in the right way? I think it's an enduring misconception
1: that there are people who are neurologically different to the rest of us and they just have a brain for maths. I guess one of the things that I would say is that uh, I like to picture mathematics a bit like a sense. Now, we all have different senses. Some people really do have phenomenal, amazing eyes, ears, taste buds that are clearly different to the rest of us, but we are all seeing, hearing, tasting, touching people. That's, That's part of our DNA. And while some people may be quicker at adopting mathematics or perhaps more able to do mental calculations accurately than others, I think what mathematics is really about, what I've tried to get at tonight, trying to understand and appreciate patterns, be able to think logically and solve problems in a critical and creative way, those are things which belong to all of humanity and I really think maths is for everyone.
0: And and was that a discovery you made yourself? Because you you do tell the story about turning up here and on day one thinking you were going to be a, an English teacher, drama teacher, maybe, and all of a sudden you're teaching mathematics. So, you know, through high school, when you were a student, did you see yourself as a mathematician? Were you a maths geek? Did you really love it? Or did you come to love it and come to understand this?
1: When I was at school, Mark, there was a clear division between those people who they were going to go all into mathematics and they would do, you know, they would do mathematics and physics and all the sciences. And uh, it almost seemed like a sort of, You know That pattern of study was a bit of a profile, and I did not fit into that profile at all. I did the highest level of English, four units of it, um, three units of history, two units of drama in my tiny little HSC drama class, and I didn't think of myself in those lines at all. And so it was very much a gradual journey. For me, that's actually one of the big reasons why when I go into my classes, and I hope this is something for, for all the students here, and not just the students, but for the parents who maybe feel like, well, this is just... It's over for me, school was a long time ago. It's never too late to open the door of mathematics because I think that development, that understanding
0: can be grown. So, so tell us about how that happened with you. I mean, you're a, you're a young adult here at Sydney University, all of a sudden you find yourself training to be a maths teacher. Can you remember moments in your journey where you thought, actually, I get this, and as I get this, I'm, I'm really loving this and I want to share this with others? There were many different moments just like that, Mark. I remember, for me, when it, when it clicked, that
1: the reason there was a difference between the way I experienced maths you know, from age 19 onwards, which is when I you know, started at university and continued to become a mathematics teacher, and before, for me, I think the way I'd summarize it is there was a difference in purpose. I wasn't doing necessarily different maths, but the reason why I engaged with it was not anymore to just pass an exam, get some marks, be able to get an ATAR the UAI back then and to say, okay, great, I've finished school. That I realized, doing maths for that purpose, let me sort of just skim on the surface of what mathematics was. When I could answer a question and get what I thought was the number that I was supposed to get, I then said, great, case closed, I can move on. I didn't realize it was really about searching for insight about a deep understanding of things. And when I got to university, I started to learn mathematics for a whole different purpose. It was to try and convey with an authentic reason, why does this matter? And I realized I had to know mathematics in a much deeper way, and that's what changed things.
0: One of the uh, really interesting early slides you had talked about how good mathematicians fail. Hmm. Um, Whereas, you know, you talk about your school days, it's all about getting the answer right. You know, checking the back of the book, did I get it right? So, so tell us a little bit about how we learn from failing, because I think most of us would think at school it's all about getting it right and not failing.
1: One of my favorite researchers in, in education is a man named Dylan William, and one of the quotes that grabbed me the first time I, I heard it, and I hope you all take it to heart when I say it tonight, even if you heard it before, it's that if you're doing work and you make mistakes, from the teacher's point of view, I interpret that in this way. That those mistakes are a sign that the work you're doing is hard enough to make you learn. That your mistakes are an indicator, a signal to you, yes, this work is challenging, that's why it's going to assist you in learning. If you could, I guess, by way of contrast, if you had a, a worksheet or something like that, and 50 questions on it, and you just effortlessly got every single one right, that might feel good for a moment, like, yay, I have all the right answers. But you haven't learnt anything in completing that worksheet. You've made no progress. You've never challenged yourself to think, I don't know how to encounter this problem. I'm going to need to seek help. I'm going to have to try a different approach.
0: And and so how important do you see it now, you know, for the educators in the room and for the parents of children in the room, that that we need to actually teach them how to fail well and teach them how to find success uh, by having a journey through failure or real challenge, you know, getting it wrong, not understanding... And, and not being defeated by that. If there's one thing that uh, comes up so
1: frequently when I talk to parents, and especially being a parent now, thinking about you know, the obvious question is, how do I help my child in maths? And most parents come to me with sort of, you know, a panic look in their eyes, and I have to learn calculus, how do I do this? I can barely manage times tables. The key is not about the amount of mathematical knowledge that you have, unless you have a huge amount and you're an engineer, and that's good for you, but for the rest of us mere mortals, in fact, a much more important thing is not the knowledge you transmit, but the mindset that you can instill. Um, one of the most heartbreaking things is that, as a head of mathematics, I often have students come to me and say, "You ten or 11, and they want guidance on what level of maths should I take, which course should I select. And hundreds of times every year, I'll have people come to me say, "I think I should choose this easier level of maths because I don't want to struggle. I don't want to struggle, so I want to take this level of maths." Now, I understand the intent behind that. It's a very natural response. But it's the complete opposite of the conclusion I draw. Struggle is where you learn. Where there is struggle, there is hope for discovery. And so I want to encourage the parents in the room to when you see your kids racking their brains over homework, or you yourself look at those symbols on the page and it looks all like Greek to you. Sometimes it's literally Greek, in fact. Um, I want you to embrace that struggle. Your children will learn from you, whether it's just, oh, you know what? Don't worry, that's too hard. Go and do something else that you find more naturally easy. Leaning into that struggle and persisting in that that's something that we get from our parents
0: yeah and, and I've also heard uh, you know a great technique is to get the kids to teach you so if you don't know it I mean I mean one of the the real tests if you really know something well is whether you can explain it to someone else mm-hmm. and to get your kids to kind of engage with you and try to explain to you what they've been learning is actually very powerful learning mm-hmm. for them as well um, uh, I've met your daughter, she's pretty smart, she's pretty cluey, she's, uh, she's <laughs> smart, she's cluey. Um, the new improved version, I think, um, but, but um, you know, we've got, we've got an issue with girls and maths in this society. Mm that uh, fewer girls are doing demanding maths and demanding science courses and that whole conversation we had earlier about perhaps girls being more likely to think that they're not good Mm. at maths. What are your messages for the, uh, the girl mathematicians in the room and how do we encourage more girls to really engage with mathematics in a strong way?
1: Yeah, I think that for me, you know, as a teacher of 10-plus years, I've puzzled over this and also seeing my own daughter engaging with this. I've, I was quite amazed how early that began. It was not, you know, I, I deal with children from age 12 to 18, but at age 7 or 8, and I'm delighted that there are people in this room right now who are ages 7 and 8 and some even younger, that's where those positive mindsets really begin. And so it's never too early to start. I think one of the things that is um, amazing about girls, or maybe I should say it's disappointing about boys, is that girls are so much more quickly and deeply aware of their social surroundings. I mean, the typical boys in my classrooms, they'll put up their hand and I'll say, Johnny, that was wrong. And they'll be like, whatever. Okay, don't even, don't even care and move on. And they forget about it very quickly. But the girls, I think, are far more Aware of how are people thinking of them, the boys just couldn't care less. And that is a superpower. That awareness that those girls have can sometimes be a bit of a, a counterintuitive challenge to them when they think, "Oh, you know, regardless of whether they are actually good mathematicians or not." Because when I teach mathematics extension two, the highest of level of mathematics, when I have girls in my class, they are routinely my best students. High methodical very accurate, creative in the way that they approach problems and bring different perspectives into things. They're excellent. There is no physiological or neurological disadvantage that they have. But they often don't back themselves and question themselves a little more easily. That's a great strength to have when you want to think carefully about, is this answer the right answer? I want to question that rather than just going full in without being critical about it. But if it lets us question ourselves as mathematicians, I think that's where the wheels fall off.
0: One of, the, one of the challenges at, at, I think about maths is that it seems to be a series of building blocks of learning and, and sometimes there'll be gaps, things we didn't really understand, classes that we missed, lose a bit of confidence and so even if you feel you, you want to be good at maths and you want to apply yourself and you're really interested in the things you've seen tonight, it just the foundation doesn't seem to be there. So what advice for teachers or what advice for parents and even students here who just feel that that foundational knowledge uh, that they really need isn't there and that's what lets them down?
1: Mm. It is very true, Mark, that mathematics, one of the things that's most beautiful about it is how wonderfully coherent all of the knowledge and skills fit together. It's a little bit like um, my daughter loves Harry Potter. She's read all seven of the books a lot of times over and over and over again. And one of the things she constantly tells me about it that's great is that each of the individual characters, while you meet them quite separate to each other, the threads all wonderfully intermingle. And by the time you get to book seven, it just crashes together in this wonderful, you know, symphony of different moments that harmonize together and, and show the connections. And mathematics is just like that. However, the upshot of that is if parts of those are missing, you're looking for It's like, it. Can you imagine reading Harry Potter and um, not having one of the crucial characters just taking out all of the pages that had that character? And then by the time you get to the end, you'd be surprised, right? Like, what's going on? I'm a bit confused. The pieces have not come together and connected. So I think that for teachers, I would say... There is a reason why in the Australian professional standards for teachers by which we measure ourselves. (laughs) The first standard, the first way we know how we develop as teachers is not know content and how to teach it. The first is know students and how they learn. Standard two is know the content and how to teach it. That has to come first. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes we let the tyranny of syllabus dot points that I have to get through and tick off on a register take over from what is our real work of helping students along the way.
0: And, and just as, as an aside from that, I, I was wondering what would have happened if you, if you hadn't changed your mind and become a maths teacher and you were an English teacher or a drama teacher? How does all this apply and your approach to teaching apply to subjects other than maths?
2: One of the
1: things which I think is quite funny, actually, is that uh, when I had a colleague of mine come and observe my class, because this happens routinely, we all observe each other to help us develop professionally, I had someone from a different key learning area, someone who's not mathematics, come and watch me. And at the end of the lesson, he said to me, you know, you teach mathematics like an English teacher, which I would never really thought about, (laughs) because I don't spend much time in English classrooms, but simple lessons like the most basic rule of storytelling, which is that every, almost every great story has three acts. There is a setup, there is a conflict, and then there's resolution. That animates every single lesson that I have. So I'd like to think that the three descriptions that I gave for mathematics do share a lot in common with every key learning area, just in a
0: different flavor. Um, now, there, now you know, you're the mathematicians, but there are three things I know about this room. I know it's more likely than not that people share a birthday, but we're not going to waste time by checking that out. The other thing I find really interesting is that if you're an identical twin, you sit in the front row. Yeah. That that's really um, We've got 100% that, strike rate I, on I that. I wondered that if there was something magic about that yeah. too. Of all the rows, they sit in the front row. The third thing is they have really great questions for you, and so I want to give the audience a warning that in a minute or two, we're going to go to the audience so they can ask you uh, far tougher questions. Uh, than you've got from me. I, I know you're up. the warm-up, It's okay. Um, you know, One of the things you're doing with the Department of Education now, you're still teaching, you're still, um, uh, YouTube is still big, but you're out there teaching our teachers and working with them, primary school teachers, high school teachers. Um, um, explain it to them uh, how you engage students and how they should reflect an approach on their teaching. Tell us about what you're learning from getting out and about with all the great teachers in New South Wales, and what are your messages for other teachers who want to get a bit of this woo magic uh, into their mass classrooms?
1: This is a really hard question to answer and the reason why is because I'm just spoiled for choice. What are the things that I'm learning, I'm learning new things everywhere I go. When I, head, when I headed to Griffith earlier this year, um, it just was a, an obvious fact out in the Riverina in South New South Wales that we don't have casual teachers. Do you know what casual teachers are? When, um, when I'm sick, the principal will, or the, the head teacher admin or the deputy principal will hire a casual teacher to take my place. In Griffith, and in many other regional centres like it, there are no casual teachers. When there's someone away, when Murat calls in sick, we just band together. We just have to take his classes. We have to split them up and work because that's just that's just the kind of guy Murat is. Yeah, we'll no, will uh, be fine. He'll be okay. They'll be fine. They're good kids because Murat's taken them. I mean, that things like that. Things like um, when I went to. Uh, I've been all around the country, in fact, and when I went um, over to WA, um, seeing the transient population there that comes in for a mining boon and disappears just as quickly, and seeing the challenges of the teachers there trying to say, well, you know what, the longest any teacher has been in our school has been three, four years, if we're lucky, and to try and develop a culture there of positive mindsets, of, of people being able to say, no matter where you are on the mathematics, learning, continuum, you can progress. Things like that are so hard when there's a revolving, revolving door of teachers there. But at the same time, while those things are challenging, I've been super encouraged. Uh, I feel, I I want to declare right at at the front that I feel actually really awkward, especially when someone like Judy gives me a very, very kind introduction like I had before I got on here because that introduction makes me sound like I'm very unusual and extraordinary. But if there's one thing I've learned from going and visiting, I've spoken in front of about 35,000 people this year, it's that there are amazing teachers everywhere in classrooms around the country, and they just are doing their work quietly, uncelebrated for the sake of the children in their care, and that's been a huge encouragement to me. Yeah, they, just, they absolutely deserve a clap.
0: Now, I think we're just going to turn up the house lights a little bit so we can see questions. We're going to have a roving microphones that are rushing towards you if you have a question for Eddie Wu. I know that if, uh, if you're a Doctor Who fan, you're known as a Whovian. I imagine it's a room for Williams. <laughs> and so they're going to be uh, keen to have questions. Now, the first question I can see is right up the back. Sir, so, you. Yeah. Oh, hey, thanks. Um, thanks, Eddie. That was awesome. Um, I just wanted to come back to a point earlier about the sort of discrepancy between,
1: and between genders at university in STEM fields. Uh, you touched on sort of why that is. Um, but I just want to know if you were sort of the state legislator for a day, Eddie, what would you do to change that? Yeah, wow. You weren't kidding that they said harder questions, I told right? you, I tried That's to warn you. I the tried first to one, right? You. Okay. Um, right out the gate. And I, I'll admit that this will sound a lot like a cop-out, but I actually think after many years, it's just reality, but I will move on from it. Uh, there's no silver bullet for this. There's no... Yeah, we'll do this in a day, and it will fix everything. If there were something like that, there are people who are much smarter than me, who've been working at this for much longer than me, and they would have found that solution by now. So I wanna make sure that we, you know, one of the things that I think is sad is that all of us want we, want, we want an easy solution. We want a solution that fits in a 15 second soundbite or on a headline. It's like, oh great, we'll just do this, we'll just roll it out, and then off we go. Um, I will still say, though, a couple of things. The first one is, one of the big challenges when you touched on, you know, say, say gender um, disparity in all of the science, technology, engineering, and maths fields, one of the huge problems is that there's a kind of positive feedback loop. A positive feedback loop is when you've got a situation, and because the situation is a particular way, it kind of keeps itself like that. It's very stable. And what happens is if... I mean, I showed that picture of the Prime Minister's Prizes for Science earlier, which is a wonderful event, um, all these different awards, Um, ten men, one woman, and my heart just broke a little bit because I know there is amazing work being done by female scientists around the country, and we just haven't quite gotten to that point where it's as visible as the work that's been done by men. These are things that have been done over the course of 20 or 30 years. I've been really encouraged seeing that tide turn, but we need to keep at it. So I think things that, you know, draw out The great models and ambassadors and examples that we have, they are there. They do exist. We just need to tell their stories. The second thing that I would say, and this is the harder one and it takes a long time, is we have to shift culture. We have to shift what is culture. Culture is the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are and what we believe. And if you look at the way mathematics is portrayed out in the real world, Well, out in the media, if you think about the way our leaders respond to it, um, that negativity is there and you can't be surprised. We can't be surprised when that just propagates out and is very difficult to shift. So at that cultural level is where we need to really change things, not just have a program, even a really well-funded one that just operates on the surface and introduces superficial changes. We really need to get at the heart of what people think and believe, their convictions about this subject.
0: Yeah, and, and the, the only thing I, I just add to that is that I think when you look at participation rates of girls in um, um, HSC, maths and science, it's really easy to think, well, what's the problem in year nine? What's the problem in year 10? I think when you start digging into the gender, gender identity, how people think of themselves, this is a challenge that, that goes all the way back into primary school all the way back into the home. And actually, it's been a problem that's been a long time in the making and won't be easily fixed. But we need a holistic solution and engagement to it that fundamentally starts in primary school, starts in the home and brings that transformation all the way through. Now, the next uh, question is right at the back of the uh, microphone. Hi. Um,
2: I actually think that's a perfect segue um, because I am an astrophysicist. <laughs> um, but... I... <laughs> Watch out, Eddie. <laughs> yes.
0: they, they, I... they ask really tough questions <laughs> as to a well, No,
2: but I actually came back to it at 30. And I didn't finish maths in high school, so I re-taught myself maths. And I think my question then is that I've found through my studies that there is this real disconnect with what maths can do and the amazing things that it can teach us. I mean, in high school, I never was told that we can learn so much about our, our universe um, by things we're using things like trigonometry and Pythagoras theorem mm-hmm. and learning how to calculate m- the mass of stars and amazing things like that. How, do you, how would you propose that you can actually reinvigorate students' minds to make those connections um, with the physical world beyond just learn calculus and learn algebra and learn that? And I can see you're already doing it, but how would you suggest other teachers also make those connections as well.
1: Yeah, wow. What a great question. Um, there's a few pieces to how I'd respond to that. Um, I think the first thing is, uh, it's easy, I think, you know, it's easy to point fingers. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of fault, I think, unfortunately gets laid at things like, oh, it's, it's the syllabus's fault, or it's the way we assess is fault. There's a lot of different ways to just kind of cast blame, which I think is sad. I think in New South Wales, we are very... I was gonna say fortunate, but it's not fortune. Actually, it was the work of a lot of people over a long period of time, that we have a syllabus that has been incredibly well-crafted and is very coherent and lends itself to all of those applications that you were just mentioning. Now, the question then must become, why is it that roundly, 90, 95% of us escape school without perhaps ever having seen those connections? And I think I can point to at least two reasons. Number one, the way that we assess while i can't you can't single it out is a really important marker because it teaches people what we value. You teach children what you value by assessing it, by measuring it. There are other things that we value, but that's a really quick way to say, hey, we're gonna grade you on this and rank you and give you a number that says something about your value in the class. That's a way to say something is important. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the way that we assess students doesn't have anything to do with the things that you just mentioned. doesn't reward someone who has gone to see all of those weird connections and all what have you. Generally not. It rewards someone who's fast which is a shame, um, because while speed and fluency are a valuable part of mathematics, they are one narrow little sliver. In the New South Wales syllabus, we talk about communicating, understanding, problem-solving, reasoning, and fluency. That fluency piece is that speed and, and immediacy of knowledge that we're, we're talking about gets sort of valued, and it's one out of five. So I think there's that reason. The second other thing is that you know, knowing all of that stuff is hard. Um, I wrote wrote this book that Mark has in his lap. I wrote it because I discovered all of these things. Thank you, Mark, like a trained professional. Um, I wrote all of these things because it was, I mean, I physically have been writing the book for two years, but I've really been forming these ideas and finding these ideas for the last 10 to 15, and I just didn't know any of those things before, and I needed the time. Teachers are so incredibly time poor and, and very distracted and have all kinds of burdens and restrictions on what they can do. We need time to be able to do that and then bring that out so our students can experience it.
0: Thanks for the question. Um, Next question is over here. Yeah.
3: Um, Lots of people find it difficult to reconcile English and maths. In fact, lots of people think they're polar opposites and you even have ideas such as you're either left-brained or right-brained. So as somebody who was interested in kind of more creative pursuits in high school, how do you manage to find creativity in maths and reconcile those two kind of disciplines?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, am, I am a bit of a weird creature of two worlds, three worlds, four, I kind of lose count. And I think it is a really sad reality that there is this false dichotomy between these areas of study. And if there are, I really hope there are some primary teachers in the room who are kind of like, How does that make sense? I teach them all, all integrated, all at once, and they are very, very skilled at doing that. The reason why in high school we go to these specializations is because now we we want to treasure depth. We want to get to that, and we don't want to, you know, make you the expert of every single thing because of how much knowledge we're just going to have to fit in your brain. But I think where that changes is where we just, in a collegiate way, make sure we are in the minds and hearts of our colleagues, learning from them. One of the best things about Cherrybrook Technology High School is not that it's just big, it's 2,000 students, and so therefore about 135 teachers. One of the best factors about it is that we have this enormous combined staff room. About 80 of our teachers fit in there, and so you have science, and creative performing arts, and technology, and languages, and they're all there, all intermingling together, and so often I will hear my visual arts colleagues talking about something which I never knew about but is full of mathematics. In English, the number of patterns that, I mean, I was having one of my colleagues trying to explain iambic pentameter to me, which is a way, there's a rhythm in which you can write your poetry. And that is completely, that rhythm is completely about the patterns of numbering the amount of syllables that you've got and creating something of great beauty. Mathematics in English, I already talked before about how many great stories and surprises in the narrative thread of mathematics that there are. For me, the most clear way to illustrate their unity is that they all live in one brain and we understand them all as a unity and so if we can contain that together in the way we
0: learn, I think that's the way to bring them together. Thanks for the question. Next one, down here.
3: Hi, this question for for both of you. um
0: Ah, you're on the spot now, Mark. We'll see.
3: (laughs) Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Uh, My question, I guess, is to do with the um, STEM, so-called STEM movement that seems to have been growing for uh, some time now in the education and outside of the education world. But there also seems to be quite a confusion about what it actually means. Um, In terms of mathematics, I think any advocate wouldn't deny that it is fundamental to lots of other disciplines and it's fundamental to one's education. So would you say that you see in Australia, education seen changing to be in a less siloed fashion? Because if you think about primary to high school, um, it seems already that disciplines become a bit siloed. And then further on in university, and I've admittedly been surprised to meet Um, people from the STEM disciplines who say, oh, no, no, I'm I'm not a mathematician, I'm an engineer. I'm like, well, but you use maths. Um, And similarly with, you know, teachers or adults who have anxiety wanting to separate themselves. um, Maybe you could comment on that? Sorry, it's a very broad question.
1: (laughs) Um, I'll just say, I think that that happens at a structural and a personal level. We have structures that are about mathematics or about engineering, and that necessarily happens because we have people with particular expertise. And we say, that's amazing. You're really good at that. Can I like, gather a group of you so that I can tap into your collective experience and be able to sort of take advantage of the fact there's not just one sort of individual one in little pockets, but a whole group of you who can help each other and help others. So I think structurally that does happen, but personally, I mean, I... Hopefully in the way that I've spoken tonight, you can see I don't see any division between them. And I'm very clear to say, I will say, I'm not a mathematician with a big M. That's not my job day-to-day, my, day, my job day-to-day is students, right? But I'm a little m mathematician the way every single person in this room is because I look at patterns and I appreciate them around me and want to understand them. In fact, you might think, no, that's not me, but unfortunately, you have no choice. Human beings are pattern-recognizing machines. We're so good at recognizing patterns, we even see patterns where they're not there. Every culture around the planet and throughout history has looked up at the stars, and we've created these things called constellations. Do you know what those constellations are? They are human beings finding patterns in randomness. We just can't help it. We're like, mm, kind of like a bear? Sure, why not? Right? <laughs> we find patterns everywhere. The gambler's fallacy, um, paradoxes like some of the ones I mentioned today. We are all mathematicians in that sense. So I think the way that we say oh, we're not or we are has to be careful and nuanced.
0: Tom, just a few more questions before we're out of time. Yes, over here, ma'am.
2: Hi there. Hi, I'm a banker and I'm mother of two girls, six and eight, and as their friends are seeing Taylor Swift, we're seeing Eddie Wu, and they will appreciate that one day. <laughs> that's, that's...
0: <laughs>
2: what I really love to ask is, where do you see external tuition fitting in with maths education? Is it just for those who are struggling, or should we be investing in that, even if your kids do appear to get it at this age?
1: Wow. Um, firstly, um, thanks. Uh, it's, it's a huge, I'm um, sort of, I, my, my family... Shake it off, part. Eddie. I'm, no, I'm not <laughs> Did you plant, were you, you planted her, didn't you? That is so uncool. I, <laughs> Um, thank you for coming. I hope you found this uh, enjoying and, and enjoyable and enriching, and something that will stay with you for the rest of your life. Um, when I, talk, I think about external tuition, um, again, just like before, this is a really complex question. There is tuition and then there is tuition. There is something which is enormously helpful to individual students to come in at a point of need and to say, you've, had, you've got gaps in your knowledge, I can identify that and then help you with those and then you can get back on the horse and off you go, fantastic. There are other kinds of tuition which are, frankly, um, just pumping out an industrial model of education which um, parents who are very well-intentioned and feel like they cannot do anything else, it's like, well, at least I can somewhat throw money at the problem and at least they're, they're, doing, they're spending more time on maths, hopefully that will help. Uh, maybe it does, maybe it's making your child hate maths because they're doing it until 9pm at night after a whole day. That to me is heartbreaking, uh, I think that Students need to be very, very careful, and parents need to be very, very careful about how they experience mathematics because yes, the time is a worthwhile investment. It's a practical subject, but if you're just churning through, often tragically learning things which actually are just machine processes, I have students come to me and they say, I can differentiate, I'm really good at that. I'm only 15 years old, but I can you don't need to know what differentiation is. But they come to me with this ability to turn a handle on this algorithm, this set of steps, just like me, I don't know how to bake, but I can follow a recipe. I have no idea what baking powder does, or why 180 degrees Celsius is important, but I can follow steps. Now, that's okay for a cake because you can still eat it at the end, but that is fatal for mathematics because you don't know why you're doing any of the things you're doing. If that's what you are, you're not a mathematician, you are a machine. And that's not what we want our children to become. So.
0: We have to be careful (laughs) with external tools. Great answer, I think. One final question up here, yeah.
3: Hi, Eddie. um, My name's William. Um,
1: Thanks for your passion for mathematics. Um, Mathematics is very powerful, and um, I'm just wondering what you believe is like the most motivational aspect of mathematics for you because a lot of people after they've finished high school they've got their marks they're finished that's the end of math for them but really it's a lifelong skill. I alluded before to this idea of mathematics as a sense that it's it's a way to perceive the world and some people have sharper senses than others I mean I was I was born with really horrendous eyesight I have um I have to check every time. I have one eye that's short-sighted and one eye that's long-sighted. And those young people in the room are like, kind of, whoa, that's cool, you can see everything. <laughs> the older people in the room are like, no, no, it means you can see nothing, it's all, it's all a blur. Um, now, I've, I would never you know, think, oh, I've always struggled with seeing. I guess I'm just not a seeing kind of person. Like, it's just not a, you know. But we say that about mathematics that we struggle with maths. I'm just not a a maths person. Now, for me, the best part of mathematics is that it's like slipping a pair of glasses on. And the things which were blurry or even invisible before come into crisp focus, and I can appreciate them and enjoy them and solve problems with them, whereas before I was like, it's just kind of random, and I don't know. Mathematics is powerful and beautiful and elegant because it allows us to see the world in a way we couldn't before.
0: And thank you for listening to this episode of Every Student. Never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast platform of choice or by heading to our website at education.nsw.gov.au/slash every student. Podcast, or if you know someone who is a remarkable, innovative educator that we could all learn from, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at new south wales education, on Facebook, or email every podcast at det.nsw.edu.au. Thanks again, and I'll catch you next time.